Hadassah, and I'm so excited to welcome you to Real Woman, Real Torah, a project of Bacheva Learning Center. We're here to offer you an authentic Torah learning experience, produced for women, by women. I hope you enjoy. Welcome to Demystifying Hilchas Nida, a podcast series with Mrs. Rifki Kaplan, in which we'll explore the historical background and underlying halachic principles behind the laws of Nida. Mrs. Kaplan is a shlucha, teacher, lecturer, and yuetzat halacha, with over 20 years of experience teaching and mentoring women in the area of Tahara Samashbacha. She will be building on her experience and expertise in Hilchas Nida to give us a deeper appreciation for the halachas that we practice every single day. Please keep in mind while listening that this series is intended for educational purposes only and should not replace seeking qualified rabbinic guidance for any application to practical halachic scenarios. Our goal for this series is to enhance your observance of Tahar Samashpacha and to inspire you to observe the halachas in the most optimal way. Please note that each individual episode is only one part of a bigger picture, so we encourage you to listen to all the episodes in the series in order to get a complete understanding of the content we discuss here. This episode is sponsored by Javi Rus, in honor of our Afua Shalema for Maisha Aryalid Ben Bracha. Welcome back to our Hilchos Nida series with Rifki Kaplan. Today we're going to be talking about the Shivanikim. Um, the seven clean days. Um, we'll start by talking a little bit about the half sectara and then why we do um, two badikas every day of the Shivanikiyam. Um, where does that come from? So let's dive in. All right. Hi, people. Thanks for coming back. Um, or if this is your first episode, welcome. Um, but I would encourage you that you certainly do listen to the previous episodes because they do kind of like work one off the other. They stand on their own only somewhat, okay? So today, like Adasa said, we're going to be talking about the Hefsiktara and the Shiva Nikian. Um, We're going to start, of course, with the Hefsiktara because that's, that's what comes first. Um, and it's important to know that the Hefsiktara is actually learned from the Nida. So if you recall, um, in the episode where we talked about when and where things changed, where everything was sort of mainstreamed, and they took the somewhat common denominator, okay, um, from both the Nida and the Zavar to ensure that all grounds would be covered, right? And so that the dynamic element of Lacha would, of course, safe keep the fundamentals. So different elements of the Nida and the different elements of the Zavar now became an integral part of our Tahara process. So the Hefzik Tara is learned from the Nida. So just to refresh ourselves really quickly, the Nida, from the moment she saw blood, for a period of seven days, and every time I say that, I like kick myself for the pun. Um, so for a window of seven days, um, she was in her state of nida. Whether she bled for consecutively all seven days, whether she bled for one day, so long as prior to sunset of the seventh day, she could perform a hefsectara, which as many of you are familiar with, is an internal exam into her vaginal canal using a soft, clean, of course, white cloth. Um, and then once she ascertained that halachically what is known as ma'ayan sagor, like her spring, her spring was closed, okay, then she would be able to wait until after tzatakochavim and she would immerse in the mikvah that very night. So there's a number of things that I want to talk about, the concept of hefsektara and then when and how early can the hefsektara be done. So let's talk a little bit about the mechanism of the hefsektara and what it accomplished, Okay. 
So often, um, I refer to the Hepsiktara as, so to speak, shifting gears. It is a critical, non-negotiable element of our Tahara process. Why is it so critical? Because it is the act that ascertains for us, as mentioned, that ma'ayan sagor. From the moment that her bleeding starts, it is known as ma'ayan patuah, her spring, so to speak, is open. And this ascertains for us that now her ma'ayan sagor. And only, only once we have ascertained that, can we begin to shift the gears from the state of tuma to the state of tahara. Okay, and then there's various like halachic conversation about when does she complete her tahara process? Is she considered to be becheskat tahara the moment she ascertains that ma'ayan sagor, or is that just the beginning, so to speak, of the shift, and it's only completed after she immerses in the mikvah, or maybe perhaps it's completed as soon as she finishes her seven clean days. Or some of you might be familiar with the idea that the first three of the seven clean days, there are certain stringencies that are taken. Why is that? Because of the halachic opinion that says only once she's created a chazaka of three clean days, then is she considered to be b'cheskat tahara. And only at that point would we be able to relax certain stringencies, right? So there's various opinions and they will play themselves out in different dimensions throughout halacha. So, for example, like I mentioned, if a woman had a question on a badika cloth, and it would be within the first three days, which is why it's always important to share with whoever it is that you're bringing your badika cloth to for assertion, when exactly you saw it. Because if you saw it on the first day, and if you saw it on the fifth day, there would be different ramifications. Okay, And this helps us understand why that is. So certainly everyone agrees that this is a critical stage. It shifts the gear, right? But does it completely shift the gear? Or are you still, so to speak, shifting and that it locks itself in after three days, after seven days, after you immerse in the mikvah, okay? Then the question arises, and there's a very fascinating conversation in the Gemara about this. And the question is, of course, she can't immerse in the mikvah prior to doing a hefsiktara. But how early can she actually perform that hefsiktara? What if she was the type that her cycle only lasted two days? So she wakes up on Sunday and she knows that by Monday her bleeding's done. Can she perform her hefsiktara on Monday? Of course, she can't go to the mikvah until the conclusion of the seven days of Nida. But can she perform her hefsiktara early? Does it have to be on the seventh day, right? So Rabbi Yehuda rules... Of course, of course it has to be in the seventh day. Not only does it have to be in the seventh day, but if it is done any earlier than minchaktana, which is two and a half hours prior to shnia, then it wouldn't be considered a valid hefsektara and her immersion wouldn't be considered kosher. Because how do you know what happened in the interim? You have to do it as close as possible to the conclusion of the seventh day. And the Chachamim say, Rabbi Yehuda, that's very nice, but we don't agree with you. Because once a woman ascertains Shema'ayan Sagor, the assumption is Sagor. Why would it suddenly reopen? If she knows she stopped bleeding, she knows she stopped bleeding. So the Chachamim in this particular argument rule that she could even do a Hefsektara as early as the second day. And it actually, in a different halachic argument, it's brought up 
she could even do it on the first day. So on the first day, she can't do it in the morning. It would have to be done in the afternoon because if the Mayan opened in the morning, at least it would take till afternoon for it to close, right? Why am I presenting this wider spectrum? Because ultimately, what we do today reflects both, right? We do the Hefsektara. Anytime, before, anytime a woman sees bleeding, remember, once we got to Rabzeira, the moment a woman sees bleeding, she's required to do Shivanakiyam. Before she could even start the Shivanakiyam, she incorporates the Hefsektara. Now, Lechatchila, ideally, we want the woman to do the Hefsektara as close to Shkia of the fifth day. Okay, remember, that's where the five days come in that we spoke about, because we're not following Nida Dolraita any longer. We're following, even if she would see one day of bleeding, she would have to count seven clean days. And then we incorporate the notion of the concern of the Poleta Tshechvat hence the four if you're a Sephardic woman, or five if you're an Ashkenazic woman, right? And so we want to do the Hefzik Tara as close to the conclusion of the fifth day to make sure, like Rabbi Yehuda said, that the bleeding doesn't restart. So that's ideally, that's the Lechat However, however, there is place to lean on the opinion of the Chachamim. So when would that happen? So for example, in the winter, okay? Sometimes Shkia is very early. And what's if a woman knows that if she's going to leave it until Shkia, she's going to be in the smack in the middle of her day or smack in the middle of a business meeting. And before she even turns around, it's already going to be dark outside, right? So why risk it? Do the Hefsektara in the morning when she's home and she can do it properly and she can have the peace of mind to do the internal exam the way it's meant to be done, right? And then if it's possible, she can quickly redo it closer to Shkia. But even if it wouldn't happen, she could lean on the opinion of the Chachamim and do it earlier, okay? So I just want to clarify that there would be under certain circumstances where had the woman done the Hefsektara just in the morning, even Bidiyavad, it would still be problematic. So if you recall the conversation that we had in the, the discussion and the argument in the Gemara as to how early a woman can do the Hefsektara, and we mentioned, right, the Chachamim rule that you could do it as early as the second day, even though Rabbi Yehuda opposed that. And then I brought an argument from a different section in the Gemara, which spoke about the idea that you could even do it as early as the first day, but on the first day, because that's the very day in which she started bleeding, a morning hefsiktara would not be would not qualify. She would be required to do one closer to shkia. So so too that applies in our day. So lechatchila we want to do it as close to shkia as possible, or at least within the time frame of the minchaktana, which we mentioned is about two and a half hours, like halachic hours before shkia, right? And then in the example that I brought in the short winter days where a woman might want to do it in the morning so she knows for sure it's been taken care of, she should certainly make all effort to try to redo it closer to Shkia, but she should know that she has what to fall back on in case that's not possible. But, and here's what I just want to make sure is understood, just like in the scenario of the Gemara where they said that the first day she can't do it in the morning if that's the very day in which her bleeding had started, so there would be different scenarios, say, for example, if a woman had already started her seven clean days or something, and then for whatever reason, she starts bleeding again. So she had paused and then she starts bleeding again. 
There are opinions that rule that in such a scenario, i.e. the very day she had started bleeding, a hafsik tahara in the morning, even bidiyavad, would not be considered and she would have to again redo it the following day. So I just want to make sure that we all understand, first of all, like I've said a number of times, there's no practical rulings taken from this conversation. But even so, just from a purely, you know, discussion-based, that today the notion of doing it in the morning would only bidiyavad be applicable if it wasn't on the very day in which her bleeding had started. If it's the very day, then certainly she should consult with Allah guidance because likely the morning bidika is not something that she could count on. Okay. Now, many of you are also, of course, familiar with the notion of the maich dachok, right? Which is, after we've ascertained that the bidika is clean, we insert the cloth and we leave it there until after tzedek kochabim, right? And that's something that we don't find mention of in the Mishnah or the Gemara. That's something that shows up later during the times of the Rishonim. And it's incorporated in the Shulchan Aruch, etc. So, of course, it is something that we do incorporate within our Tahara process, okay? But, but, if a woman would have a very sensitive, um, you know, if her, um, um, Nartik, if her vaginal canal was very sensitive, or she was just after a particular medical procedure, and leaving the mochdachot would create, you know, some kind of discomfort and would cause bleeding, i.e. it would do exactly what we're trying not to do, right? There is space there, okay, um, with the proper halachic guidance to do the hefzik tara, and in this particular situation, it wouldn't be required of her to do the mochdachot. Why am I mentioning this? Not because I am, God forbid, trying to introduce leniencies into this. And again, Hadassah, we should probably mention this before every episode, that this episode is really kind of informational, right? It's not about giving you practical rulings. It's really about giving you background to your practical rulings. You need to seek halachic guidance whenever a question arises and not just based on our academic kind of discussion over here, right? But the reason I mention is because I want us to understand that the Meich Dachok, yes, now it is an integral part of the Tara process, but it stands on its own separate than the Hefzik Tara, i.e. A, a woman can be considered to have performed the Hefzik Tara even if she was halachically guided in this situation not to perform the Meich Dachok for whatever reason in her particular circumstances, right? So just to review, the Hefzik Tara is learned from the Nida. According to Chachamim, she could have done it even in day one of her seven-day Nida period. So long as it came out clean, at the conclusion of the seventh day, she would immerse in the mikvah. Rabbi Yehuda is somewhat horrified by that suggestion, says no way. If she would do it any earlier than Minchaktana of the seventh day, it would not be considered to be a Hefzik and her immersion would be invalid. Okay? Now, because we mentioned the notion of Nida Dorait and Dorabana in our previous episode, I want to give you an example of that in this conversation. And according to the opinion of the Bach, um, and some of you might be familiar with who that is, the Bait Chadash, etc., um, he says that Nida, that the Hefzik Tara, during the times of Nida Doraita, that particular element was, of course, also considered to be Doraita. Today, when we practice primarily Nida Dorabanan, the Hefzik Tara so too falls under the category of Dirabanan. Okay? 
And again, like we've said numerous amounts of times, that doesn't mean that we address it or that we adhere to it, you know, that we keep this particular halacha in any of, in, um, in any less, with any less respect or any less adherence, but that it does mean that sometimes when there are extenuating circumstances, it would be important to be able to differentiate between Doraita and Dirabanan. Okay. So that's in regard to the Hefsiktara. So once a woman has had the Hefsiktara, she knows she's clean, and she needs to begin her Shiva Nikiyim. So again, just to remind us, during the times of Nida and Zava Doraita, the only person who kept the Shiva Nikiyim was the Zava, if she had three consecutive days of bleeding during her 11-day window. Even though we do reference the number seven with the Nida, it wasn't seven clean days. It could have been seven days of bleeding, Right. So the Shiva Nikim are learned from the Zava. And again, when we mainstreamed everything, we had to take the common denominators, right? Or the highest common denominator, I should say, from both aspects. So the Shiva Nikim comes from the Zava. Now, when we think of Shiva Nikim, we almost automatically think of the Bdikot that are associated with the Shiva Nikim. And they are part and parcel of it. Because how are we going to know that my day is clean? The only way I'm going to know that my day is clean is via the bedikot. Okay? So, but, but the, the terminology in the Torah is actually the sufferla. She has to count for herself seven clean days, right? How does she count for herself? How does she actually know that they are clean? By doing this bedikah. So, we find in the Gemara a very fascinating conversation. Or, well, at least I find it fascinating. <laughs> I hope you will as well. And the Gemara starts off like this. The Gemara says, uh, a woman is required to do a bedika once a day, okay? Um, every day of her Shiva Nikim to actually ascertain that today is clean, okay? Day number one is clean. Um, parenthetically, I should add, there's a conversation as to whether or not she needs to say it out loud or she needs to say a bracha. And I'm not going to address that now, but it's just interesting. So the conversation goes like this. Okay, ideally she's supposed to do a badika every single day. But what happens, okay? For whatever reason, you know, and I, we could all think of a dozen. She only does a badika on the first day and on the seventh day. Okay? And the question is, would she be considered to be tahar? And would she be permitted to go to the mikvah? Okay? So there's a number of opinions. And I'm going to share two of the critical voices here. So the first is that of Rabbi Eliezer. And Rabbi Eliezer says as follows. He says, yeah, she would be okay. Because she has the beginning and she has the end, right? So the first one tells us that it, it kind of protects the beginning. The back one protects retroactively. So she would be okay. Rabbi Akiva says, uh-uh, no. She had too long of a break in the middle. How do I know what happened on day two, three, four, five, and six? By the time she gets to day number seven, you can only count day number seven. Meaning, she now has to count an additional six days. The first day is worthless because she hasn't counted in between. Only a day that's counted is a day, excuse me, only a day in which you performed a badika is a day that's considered to be counted. Vesafrila, what are you counting over here? You didn't do any badika. So Rabbi Akiva says the only thing that counts is day number seven. And she now has to add an additional six days. Okay, so this argument, now the Chachamim rule in, and in the Gemara, the Chachamim rule in on this, and they say, really, Rabbi Akiva's logic is the one that, that carries the best. 
However, they rule like Rabbi Eliezer. Okay? And I mentioned that because we're going to come back and analyze each one of these voices when we look inside the Shulchan Arach. Okay? So that's what we find in the Gemara and the Mishnah. In the Mishnah and the Gemara. Now, um, what I want to say, later in the next generation of, of Torah scholars, during the Rishonim, is the first time that we find the conversation of that you should actually check twice. And what do they base it on? They say, just like the Kohanic woman always checked twice a day because the price that they could pay was very high, meaning, and again, let's just review this because it's a critical component over here. During the times of the Beta Megdash, if the Kohanic women were touching these gifts that their husbands, their sons, had brought home from the Bet HaMikdash, they had to be in a state of Tara. And if they would touch it and they were in a state of Tumah, they would basically um, impurify all this food and there was nothing to do about it. It would have to be destroyed. Okay, so basically the whole, you know, the whole shopping would have to be discarded. So the Kohanic women were very careful about checking twice a day, in the morning and at night. And this way they could ensure that they were always in a state of Tara. And if they weren't, they weren't touching the food, right? So in the times of the Roshonim, the Roshonim say, we are going to apply to a woman when she's counting her seven clean days, the notion of checking twice daily as is learned from the Kohanic woman. Okay? So that's, in a sense, the first time that that application is made. Because up until now, the women did keep Shiva Nikim. First, they kept it only for the Zava, and it was a Vadika once a day. And even when they kept the Shiva Nikim, even after they saw one day of bleeding after the ruling of Rebbe and, of course, Reb it would still be a Vadika once a day. It was during the times of the Roshonim that they said, actually, the way this is best to be done is to be done twice a day, as is ruled from the Kohanic woman, okay? And then we come to the Shulchan Arach. Um, and in contrast to the other episodes, I actually do want to take a couple minutes over here to look at and analyze what the Shulchan Arach says because it is something that is so applicable to every woman almost every single time she's going through her Tara process. And it is something that, you know, a lot of questions arise from, okay? So in the Shulchan Aruch, we find this, and again, if anybody wants to be so daring as to actually open the Shulchan Aruch, of course they are welcome to. And I can tell you where exactly where that is. So it's going to be in Yeridea, in Simen Kuftzadik Vav, Okay, and again, Atasa, let's include this in the show notes, perhaps. Okay, and we're coming to Seif Dalid. And in Seif Dalid, which I, you know, in my little humble opinion, is probably one of the most critical Seifim. And not maybe the most critical, but the one that we most uh, um, often encounter, I should say. Okay, it says like this. Ultimately, the Shulchan Aruch is going to write three things. Let's start with the first thing that the Shulchan Aruch says, right? Now, remember, the Shulchan Aruch, of course, comes during the times of the Achronim. So he takes into consideration generations and generations of halachic debate that precedes him, okay? And he says like this, 
when a woman is in her seven clean days, she is required to check twice a day, every single day of the Shiva Nikayim. Day one, twice a day. Day two, twice a day. Day three, twice a day. Okay? So, being well aware that even though the Gemara said that it's once a day, but as well aware that the Rishonim then applied the notion of the twice a day, the bottom line in the Shulchan Arach is that a woman needs to do twice a day of the Shiva Nikim, every day of the Shiva Nikim, and that is how she ascertains that her day is clean. Okay? Now, really, we could end the discussion with that because that is what a woman is required to do. But that would, would leave us without the rest of the full conversation. Then, the, then now, I should add that having, having discussed the conversation about what happens if she only does the first and the seventh, right? We now can appreciate where this ruling comes in. And remember what Rabbi Akiva said? Rabbi Akiva said, only a day in which you checked is counted as a day. So when the, when, when the Shulchan Aruch says that she needs to count every single day, in essence, he is going according to the ideal ruling of Rabbi Akiva. Okay, remember Chachamim said, yeah, we're going to rule like Rabbi Eliezer, but really, it should be like Rabbi Akiva. And that, in essence, if you follow back, that's where the Shulchan Aruch is, is, coming, to, is coming from. Then the Shulchan Aruch says, however, however, if a woman would only check once during those seven days, it would still qualify and she would be able to immerse at the conclusion of those seven days. Okay? And I'll explain where that's coming from in a moment. But, but I think it's important to conclude first and then we could go back. And then the third thing the Shulchan Aruch says, he introduces it, V'yesh Omrim. However, there are those that say, okay, that she's required to check at minimum, she's required to check the first day and the seventh day. And then he adds two very critical words, V'en Lahakel. Do not be any more lenient than that minimum, i.e. the first and the seventh. So you see what's going on over here? And that's why it's, I find it to be so rewarding and enriching to have opened this conversation by first looking inside the background and understanding the argument in the Gemara, right? So now we understand what is this all based on? So like we said, the first and the ideal, the Lachatchila opinion is based on what the Chachamim said is the ideal, according to Rabbi Akiva. A day that's not, a day in which you haven't performed your checks is not considered to be a day, Right? And then he brings in the third, second opinion. And what's interesting, and now if you'll permit me, where does the second opinion come from? This notion of even if she would only do it once, it would be considered because we didn't see that opinion. So what's interesting is in another place in the Gemara, it's at, they, they ask a question like this. And they ask a theoretical question. They say, Rebbe Eliezer told us that if she has the first, first and the seventh, she's good. What do you think Rabbi Eliezer would have said if she only had the first or if she only had the seventh? Do you think he also would have agreed that she's okay? And Rob says, yes, I believe that according to the logic of Rabbi Eliezer, 
he too would have said that she's okay. And Rabbi Hanina vehemently disagrees with him and he says there is no way. There's no way that Rabbi Eliezer would have agreed if it was just one or just seven, there's no way he would have agreed, right? And then the next generation of halachic giants in the times of the Rishonim, they open up this conversation again and they say, according to Rav, who ruled that he believes that Rabbi Eliezer would have agreed even if it was only the Tchilasan or just the Saifan, what do you think that Rabbi Eliezer would have said, according to Rav, if it was just the middle? Huh? Maybe that too would have been permissible. And then you have some of the giants in the world of the Roshayinim that rule in, and they say, yeah, take. According to everything that we understand, in the manner that Rav rules, and in the manner that Rabbi Eliezer rules, it would also be permissible, maybe even it would be preferable, if she only did a badika and it wasn't in the first day, and it wasn't in the seventh day, it was only in the middle day. Of course, you have those that oppose that and say, no way, you're stretching this. It's true that according to Rav, one, the first day would be okay, or the seventh day would be okay, but there's absolutely no way he would have agreed to something in the middle, right? So now we understand what this middle opinion that the Shulchan Aruch brings. The Shulchan Aruch is bringing the opinion of those Rishonim that agree with Rav, that agree that Rebbe Leagazer would have agreed, so to speak, if it would have only been the middle, okay? So now I want to focus, let's go back into the Shulchan Aruch. Let's summarize and understand this once again, right? The first thing the Shulchan Aruch tells us is, according to the words of Rabbi Akiva, so to speak, a day that's not counted, a day that's, excuse me, a day in which you don't perform a badika is, is not a day that counts. So you need to have every day, and you need to have it twice a day, as learned from the woman in the days of Taharot. The middle opinion introduces this very kind of, not convoluted, but sort of, you know, if and if and if, yes, it would still count, right? And then the Vyesh Omrim, the final word, however, of the Shulchan Arach, he goes back to the opinion of Rabbi Eliezer and he says, let's stick to the original opinion of Rabbi Eliezer. And that if she did it on the first and on the seventh, okay, it would count. Of course, it's not lechatchila. Of course, she shouldn't set out to do this. Bidiyavad, if it happened, or during a Shatat Chak, certain extenuating circumstances, we can lead on the opinion of Rabbi Eliezer as agreed upon by the Chachamin, and at the minimal, that would be permissible. Okay? Now, now that we have that background, we can understand why when life happens, we sometimes get these various rulings, right? So in a, in a, in a normal, healthy situation where there's no extenuating circumstances, yes, a woman should set out to do two bedikot every day of the Shiva Nikiyam. But life doesn't always happen in a smooth manner. And then sometimes it is necessary, again with halachic guidance, to do less bedikot. Wait, how could I do less bedikot? What do you mean? H- how do I know that I'm still considered tar? Of course you're still considered tar. It says it right here in the Shulchan Arach. And the Shulchan Arach is based on generations of halachic argument and halachic ruling. Ah, okay, so that's why the Rav told me that because of my situation and because of the medical circumstances that I'm undergoing now, because of the sensitivity of my cervix, etc., etc., 
I should take, I should do my shivan, I should do my bedikot only on day number one and only on day number seven. Aye, but what about the situation of the woman, etc., etc., etc.? Why would it be permissible for her to only do one? Okay, that's the middle opinion of the Shulchan Arach, right? So now again, there is a hierarchy here and a very clear hierarchy. There's the ideal, there's the regular life, this is the norm, this is what we strive for. Then there's recognition that life doesn't always go the way we want it to go, right? So the Shulchan Aruch introduces a minimal, one and seven. The ain't the hakil, he pleads with us. Ain't the hakil. Don't, don't just casually, you know, do any less. However, he does include in his ruling this middle opinion where it would be permissible for a woman to do a badika just once, right? Now, I'll tell you, being involved in this world, um, this is not something, obviously, that is done casually whatsoever, i.e. The once, the once in seven. You know, you need a rub with a tremendous amount of halachic experience and really broad shoulders to be able to lean in on this ruling. And you need quite extenuating circumstances in order to warrant something of this nature. But it's here and it does exist, okay? And I think it's important for us to understand. Um, and again, I think this, in, in a sense, gives us a deeper understanding, which gives us a sense of validation and a sense of empowerment. Like, ah, this is why I do it. And this is why I was told sometimes not to do it. And it doesn't mean I'm doing anything, so to speak, wrong. No. In this particular circumstance, it was clearly stated that this is the way in which I'm permitted to do it, you know, under these particular parameters, etc. So that's in regards to the, the Hepsiktara and the Shiva Nakia. Wow, Rafki, thank you so much. That was really insightful. Um, yeah, and I think these types of, you know, heterum that people get come up all the time, you know, for all kinds of circumstances. Um, you know, we've all had situations where we've spoken to a Rav who said to do less, you know, bidikas in a given circumstance. And I think just understanding where that comes from um, is very informative and helpful. And again, not because we can now make decisions for ourselves about when we should or shouldn't be um, keeping to that ideal. Um, of course, it requires, like you explained, like a lot of, um, you know, broad shoulders to be able to make that call of like, you know, now is the time to take, to, to, to incorporate that leniency of, of doing less because But I think when we do get that, that instruction, um, for whatever reason, to appreciate, you know, where that's coming from and, and sort of the, the basis for those, um, for those, you know, the various, you know, um, standards we might be keeping in different circumstances. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And also, I think it, um, it opens up the, um, the platform for women to recognize that there's a place for questions. Like sometimes people think that this is a non-negotiable, you know, um, and sometimes that leads them to a place of pain, like quite physical pain, you know, or internal resentment. And I think that it's important that we recognize that halacha is so deep and so wide, you know, and there's a lot of space for, for conversation and there's space to ask questions. And there's, um, and those, you know, this just gave them like a glimpse into the, to the depth of that and the space in which this can take them. And so I encourage women to ask questions, you know, and to, uh, and to recognize um, where the answers could be coming from. Yeah, no, I was going to add, and I think often women assume that like, you know, the more 
strict I can be, like the more um, careful I can be about making sure that I'm not, I don't have um, any um, any doubt about being a nida, like that's being more strict. But I think it's important to realize that halacha also doesn't want us to become nida unnecessarily. Um, and like we want to be able to go to mikvah on time. That's like that, that's that itself is is, is a mitzvah in the Torah. And and, and becoming nida unnecessarily is being more mekel, not more nachmer, right? So if there's a way that we can sort of you know, like do less bidikas, but ensure that we're not becoming unnecessarily so that we can actually go to mikvah at the right time. That's, that is the ideal, right? Um, and halacha. Um, and like, yes, it's striking that balance. Exactly. It's striking that balance. Exactly. Cause like often we sort of have this like almost knee jerk reaction that machmir is always better, you know? Um, and it's actually interesting Hadassah because in the episode, maybe I should have mentioned this earlier. When we talked about the episode of the, of the waiting of the five days so the Ramah actually mentioned something very interesting, like interesting choice of terminology. And he says, there's some women that are machmer and they wait seven days. And then he says, if you're machmer, okay, go ahead and be machmer. But those of you that are mekel are actually rushing towards doing a mitzvah. And I thought that was like, it was just very well said because we often associate machmer with being better, the preferred way, mm. you know? And mekel, like, no, that's like, you know, for slackers. But the Ramah saying no, you know when you're when you're machmer when it's unnecessary. Okay, that's your thing. Whatever, you know, I'm not going there. But makel in this situation actually means that you're having the opportunity to do this mitzvah even sooner. So yeah, that's why it's really important that we ask, that we constantly, you know, my rule is emir safek and safek. If 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 I'm not sure, if I have a doubt, then there's no doubt. Meaning, if I'm not sure, is this a question or this is not a question, then. Stop the doubt. Go ahead and ask the question. So that's what I really, really want to encourage women to do it. And also, Hadassah, I really hope that maybe, you know, make, what, I guess one of my objectives, one of my prayers in doing this podcast is that it'll give women terminology and it'll give women an understanding so they feel, you know, more, they feel braver and they feel more confident and they feel, you know, more secure in making that phone call and asking that question. Because I think that a lot of times we hesitate to ask a question because we're like, first of all, is it even a question? And secondly, I don't even know quite how to phrase it. Like, what am I saying? This is so intimate. This is so personal. This is like so halachic. I don't even know how to quite phrase it. So I really hope that, you know, some of what women will gain besides the knowledge from this is really like confidence in, in the halachic terminology, which is why I do try to incorporate them sometime. Um, and in the halach and in the halachic information necessary to really like empower them in this in this mitzvah. Amazing, thank you so much. <laughs>